Miller. On this week's episode, we host Mr. Corey Ballard of Perfect Cut, based out of Des Moines, Iowa. He also has a new venture in Ballard Innovative Designs, where he designs different tools and items that are used throughout the landscape industry. We are so excited to have Mr. Ballard on today to discuss the different aspects of his company and how he grew from a company when he was a teenager where he would drag his mower behind him on a moped. Dive into different aspects of how he's grown from mowing lawns to where they just installed a brand new green roof in downtown Des Moines. It's an incredible journey to really hear about different aspects of what it takes to be successful in this industry and really truly understand what we have to offer these students in our program and the opportunities that are ahead for them if they really want to head down this path. Mr. Ballard did a fantastic job of explaining all the different aspects of what his company needs in order to be successful and in order to grow and develop more. It is evident in this podcast how passionate Mr. Ballard is for his work and how he wants to better himself even after 20 years of his company's existence truly is an inspiration to our students to show them what it takes to be successful, how work ethic and drive can really be a force when it comes to being successful in any industry and in life. Students got an amazing opportunity to really learn the ins and outs of what it takes to be successful in the landscape industry and to see the importance of an administrative team behind the force of the men on the ground working on the different sites and the different jobs. Just overall, a fantastic podcast. Overall, a great opportunity. We can't thank Mr. Ballard enough for coming on. The kids had a blast and really enjoyed hearing the stories behind what it took for him to get to where he is today. We can't thank Mr. Ballard enough. We really appreciate you taking the time. We really hope you have a fantastic rest of your 2020 uh, great 2021. Hope everybody enjoys this episode of Tiger Turf Talk. Welcome to the 14th episode of Tiger Turf Talk. I'm your host, Drew Miller with Rylan Harris. We have an amazing guest today with so much to learn, uh, Mr. Corey Ballard of Perficut and Ballard Innovative Designs. Uh, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good, man. Glad to be on. Glad to join you guys. We're excited to have you. Uh, what a career, honestly, with everything that I've seen uh, and from videos, from different articles and whatnot, 25 years uh, with creating Perfect Cut and everything, uh, not knowing where it was going to go. What was your aspirations for the company uh, starting off? You know, I've told this story a lot and, and it really is pretty simple. And you hear this a lot in our industry. You know, I, um, you know, at the be- in the beginning, it was as simple as, you know, I was 14 and a half and I wanted a fancy moped and uh, my dad said, Hey, we can't afford one of those. Um, you better go get a job. And uh, so for me, um, I didn't know what that looked like. I knew we had a couple lawnmowers in the garage. So I started going door to door in my neighborhood and um, I must've been pretty convincing cause I, I rounded up about 15 or 20 residentials to mow grass. Right. And I'm 14 and a half. And, and I think I hit the big time, right. I've got, you know, and, and so I started mowing some grass just locally in my, in my kind of in my neighborhood. Cause I had to use my moped. I had another moped. It wasn't the one I wanted to buy. I wanted the fancy one, but I had to pull my mower behind my moped and I had the, the string trimmer and blower 
bungee corded on to the mower and you know and so you know in the beginning it was just a very simple hey I want to go make some money I, I want to um you know I want to generate some of my own money so I have a little bit of freedom I want to pay for this fancy moped that I thought was going to be super cool um and so it started very very simple like that and um you know and it, it quickly grew um you know by the time I was 16 I had um you know 30 or 40 accounts and and a truck and a trailer and then uh you know, without going too far ahead, and I'm sure we can dig into that, but, you know, by the time I was a senior in high school, I had uh, two full-time crews uh, working for me, and so I was getting guys out in the morning before school um, who were out of school, so I had guys working for me that were out of school, and, and our high school had a program that got me out of there at noon, and then I would go join whatever crew was needed my help, and so I was running a couple mowing crews, you know, as a senior in high school, and, um, you know, uh, you know, doing what I thought was pretty good. I was generating quite a bit of cash for a senior in high school and I had had some money in my pocket and I had freedom and, um, but it didn't come without some sacrifices. I couldn't play baseball anymore because in the spring I, I was out mowing and guys were playing baseball and my friends were going to the beach and doing all the fun stuff. And I was having to, you know, skip some of that stuff. So you started, you said you started at 14 and a half. That's obviously a very young age. Did you have any landscaping background before you started this business? No, it was just, um, you know, in the beginning, it was just cutting grass, right? So, uh, you know, I felt like I could do, my dad, you know, I mowed, the, you know, I mowed our house and I felt like I was pretty detail oriented and I felt like I could do a pretty good job. Now, I don't think my customers at the time for 12 and $15 mow, you know, I was charging like 12 bucks, right? And so I thought I was doing a pretty good job. And uh, so no experience in the industry whatsoever. I just cut grass. I trimmed it. I blew it off. And I thought I was doing a pretty good job. And then I'd go to the door and collect a little cash. And uh, so very um, simple beginning. You know, it, it was just a, a very transactional, um, you know, neighborhood kid cutting grass, which you see a lot of today. I've got guys in my neighborhood that knock on my door all the time and say, hey, can I cut your grass? And I'm like, nah, I got this covered today. But uh, but yeah, very, very simple and, and humble beginnings. That's awesome. Um, it's so much bigger now. And it's it's really just this, it's insane to me to see all the different jobs that you're doing even today. Um, where did the name Perfect Cut come from? And with branding, how important is it to you as a company with your, with your brand? And again, you went from Des Moines and expanded out to two different locations past that. What is it, how important is it to you with your brand and the name uh, for your success? Yeah, I mean, that's a, you know, a question that could be answered a couple different ways. You know, I named the company Perfect Cut when I was 15, because um, at the time I'm thinking cutting grass, right? You know, and I want to do a perfect job, perfect cut. I kind of just, you know, merge these two words together. And um, I can tell you years down the road, I wanted to change the name because I felt like, you know, people are like, oh, you, you cut hair and and uh, and I felt like it might, you know, pigeonhole us into a, you know, just a lawn cutting service, which is a very small percentage of what we do today is actually mowing grass. And um, but, you know, I believe that the name, you know, is important, but I also don't think that the name is absolutely crucial. There's a lot of companies that have odd names that mean nothing. But what they do with them is where it's important. And, you know, one of the things that we did from the very beginning, um, my first truck was blue. Um, every truck today is blue. 
Um, I wanted to be different. Everybody had white pickups, right? And, you know, and, and so I wanted to look different. Um, I wanted to be seen. I always wanted to look bigger than what we were. So when we had two trucks and three trucks, I mean, every truck looked the same. I was super crazy about them being clean. And, and today that's still our model. We wash trucks every single day, which people is just their mind boggled that we still do that today. But, um, you know, branding is, is so crucial in any business and we wanted to be different. Um, we wanted to look different. We wanted to look bigger than we were when we were small. Um, so we, we always wanted this perception of being bigger. And, and I also tried to pay attention uh, to what are the big guys doing? And there wasn't a lot of guys in the Des Moines, Iowa market that were big. So, you know, and back then, I date myself a little bit, you know, the internet was not there as much. And I was doing some reading and I was trying to figure out what are the big companies doing and what, you know, and I noticed they all have the same looking trucks. The guys are always in uniform. Their collateral always looks the same as far as their sales and marketing strategies. And, and so we, from the very beginning, we, we took it very serious and it was expensive, really. You know, you buy a truck when you don't have any money, you buy a truck. I was buying trucks at auto auctions and, and then I got to go take and get a $2,000 paint job on a truck that I could barely afford in the first place. But to me, that was important. Um, that's what, that's who we are. And today I've, I've had several meetings over the last 25 years where I've had people in my team say, you know, can't we just leave our trucks white? And it's a non-negotiable. It's not, we are blue. UPS is brown, you know, Coca-Cola is red. Coca-Cola doesn't come in a green can, you know, maybe you get a holiday can, but, you know, brands are what they are. Um, and I just believe, you know, I believe strongly in having that consistency throughout. And so our brand has been a very strong piece of our marketing from day one. And, and you know, just a quick story, even when we maybe had five or six trucks, people used to say, man, I see you guys everywhere. And the truth is, they didn't see us any more than the other companies, but when five white trucks drive by you, they're just white pickup trucks, right? They could be doing construction or roofing or concrete. But when you see two blue trucks, you see them. So everybody kept saying, man, I see your trucks everywhere. You must have 30 trucks. Well, we had five, maybe, or six. But they became so noticeable that we really started to kind of parlay on that and say, man, these blue trucks are making a difference. And for many years, and even when we were a good-sized company, people would say, oh, Perfect Cut, I've never heard of you. And I would say, the blue trucks. And they'd say, oh, I know who you guys are. I see you everywhere. So that was kind of part of our motto. From the, you know, we would just say the blue trucks, and it was on a lot of our stuff, you know, the blue trucks. And when you say the blue trucks, everyone's like, oh, I know who you are. I don't know what you do for sure, but I see you all the time. And so, um, you know, for us – you know, part of our branding was always, you know, the way our vehicles looked. They always looked clean. They looked consistent. They weren't fancy trucks, but you could throw a paint job on them. You could make them clean and, pre you know, presentable from 30 feet. We always call it kind of like the 30 foot paint, paint job. They look good from a distance. Um, you know, we always had our guys in uniform um, and we just really tried to be, uh, be consistent from day one. And those were some non-negotiables that I had from day one. And I didn't know exactly what they would evolve into, but I think it worked, you know? So can you explain to us what the power process of Perfect Cut is and what the purpose of it is? Um, that's a tough one because we just, we just rolled out the power process. I'd have to jump on our website. So I apologize that I, um, I don't have that. So we kind of created this, um, this process of really um, 
we, we just rolled it out literally probably a month ago. And so um, I don't have it right in front of me without jumping off here and grabbing my website and explaining to you. But we wanted to really clean up what the process for us was, which was, you know, how we engage with our clients, how we partner with our clients, how we take pride in our work, um, you know, how we try to be a solution-based company. And so um, that's one question that I don't have dialed in. I noticed that on here and I was going to pull it up. I apologize for that. But we just we just rolled that out. Um, um, and then we have a kind of a tagline called Pride, which is going to go on our uniforms. We really want we want to keep things simple um, where that our where our staff and everyone knows what are our core values? What do we believe in? Um, and keep them simple. I think a lot of companies get these large mottos and, you know, these huge statements and they go in a handbook, right? And nobody really knows what they mean and, and how, you know, I wanted it to be simple. Who are we? And can you recite it? If, if somebody asks you, if you're at your kid's soccer game, or one of my employees is at his kid's soccer game or little league or church, and somebody says, you know, what do you guys stand for? I want it to be simple. What do we stand for? Um, what's our elevator speech? You know, and, and that's part of us just rolling that out. We just literally, it might be, it might have only been, been on the website now two weeks. So we just worked through that. And, um, but it goes back to our core values. What do we believe in? Um, and then how do we, make sure that our employees believe in that as well. Um, you know, because if the owners and the management know what the core values are, but your team doesn't know, because at the end of the day, we, we're only so good in the office and our admin team. We have a lot, we have a lot of management, right? We're management heavy in my opinion, but the people with the boots on the ground are the ones that have to carry out that message. They're the ones doing the work. They're the ones that have to carry out the message day in and day out and believe that they're going to make a difference when they're up there in the field. So I'm going to go back to the gross aspect. Um, I again okay. was on the website and I saw that you guys did a green roof, uh, which I think is, I think they're unbelievable and a great asset to people who can afford it, obviously. Um, what I'm curious about is, again, you said by your senior year of high school, you were you had two Boeing crews, which is incredible. Um, for again, an 18 year old kid to have that kind of operation. What was your decision-making process of stepping up to that next level, sort of moving on from lawn care to hardscapes and then from there moving on to something even bigger. And then with snow removal, having all the trucks for that to this point where green roof is a very specialized thing. Um, what, what is your decision-making process with Perfect Cut to really grow into that new aspect of the industry? Yeah, good question. Um, I can tell you that took 20, 25 years to evolve. And, and there was some certainly some some things we got into that we got out of. Um, what we figured out was we started doing what our clients were asking. So, you know, in the beginning, we're a mowing company and they're saying, hey, why can't you take care of my lawn fertilization and weed control? I don't know. And so we were subbing that to another company. And so we what I always thought of is I'm not an expert. I have no college education. Um, so what I did was always tried to hire the best people with the most experience and put those people around me, trust them and give them the, um, give them ownership in, in their department. And so we just quickly started growing into opportunity and, and our community was growing. Um, and so when our customers are say, Hey, why can't you take care of my irrigation? Hmm. I don't know. Why can't we? 
Let's hire an irrigation manager. You know, we'd really like this landscape project. Okay, we better hire a landscape designer, an architect. And, and so we, you know, part of what worked for us was we weren't scared. Um, we were very naive um, at the time and we were gung-ho and we were young and we were just go, 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 go. And, and no fear of, you know, no fear of failure whatsoever. And um, so we kind of let our customers tell us what they wanted. And then we figured out a way to do it and hire the best people that we thought we could put around us to do that. And, and as we evolved, you know, we were doing a lot of residential and then we eventually evolved more into commercial. And today we're primarily commercial, about 90% commercial and, um, and turned into a site management company. But you know, that shifted over many, many years of trying to figure out our business model. Who are we? We still struggle with it. We, we, every Tuesday we have a strategy meeting and we still struggle with who are we, who, who is our, our, you know, who's our ideal client and how do we best serve them? And, you know, who do we want to be today, you know, 24 months from today, you know, five years from today and how do we get there? And, um, so when we get opportunities on large projects, like you mentioned, the green roof, that's not an, that's not a specialty of ours. So what, you know, what we did is we reached out to a company out of Chicago and, and that's what they did. Well, we got educated. We brought one of their main people over. We paid them to help us walk through that process. And, um, I think, you know, one of the things is we, we've never been scared to, you know, good and bad. If you say, you know, we want you guys to do this, we say, okay, we're going to figure out a way. Um, and we've also had some failure in there. We were in the sweeping business because our customers were saying, hey, why can't you do parking lot sweeping? You do all my snow removal and um, ice, you know, ice control and, and, and we pay somebody else to sweep our parking lots. So we went out and bought sweepers. Well, you know what? We're not good at sweeping. We're not in the parking lot sweeping business. So you learn those lessons. Um, you know, we were into window cleaning. We had a lot of clients, commercial clients saying, hey, we're paying somebody else to do our exterior windows. Oh, we can do that. Can't be that hard, right? Um, so we learned lessons along the way. And, and each time we had to get back and, and be very honest with ourselves. I think honesty is and uh, take your ego out of the way and say, you know what, guys, we're not a window cleaning company. Um, we're not a parking lot cleaning company, but what are we good at? And let's make sure we stick to those core, that core business, um, you know, and, and, and continue to grow within our clients and be a one-stop shop for our clients. And we realized when we did that, that we didn't have to technically add thousands of more clients. We could offer more services to the clients that we already had. You were discussing before that you're, uh, you have a heavy management team and I've seen a video. Uh, I don't, I forget who it was. Um, but they toured your facility and you, you have a lot of people working on the business side, the management side. Uh, could you sort of give the kids an idea of what your infrastructure looks like beyond the, the boots on the ground and everything and how important that is in the aspect of what your business is now? Yeah. Um, so at our, at our peak uh, last year, we had about 200 employees in three locations. Um, we're down a little bit and not necessarily just because of COVID. Um, we're getting a little bit smarter, trying to be a little bit more streamlined. Um, so we, we might be at about 175 or 180 in employees. But to do that, um, it requires a lot of admin um, and middle management support. So, um, you know, our structure is we have you know, we have salespeople that go out and they're constantly looking for what we call business development, new leads. 
Uh, they're trying to shake hands, kiss babies. How do we tell the perfect cut story? Let us know, you know, we want to tell you who we are, what we're good at, and how it, can we be of service to you? If not now, later, it's okay. Um, and just let you know who we are and what we do and how we can maybe help your business be successful. And um, so we've got salespeople and then we have account managers and each account manager manages a book of business. Um, and so they oversee and they're the point person for that book of business. Um, and then below them, we have um, production managers. So that production manager may have um, 12 to 25 employees underneath them and they may be a mowing manager and he manages the mowing and we have floral, a floral division and they may manage floral and then we have a landscape division and they manage landscape. And so there's a lot of management in there. Um, and then the piece that most companies don't, or most people don't recognize um, is how many people on the back end it takes from an admin side. You know, we have, I think six to seven um, admin people doing everything from accounts payable, accounts receivable, billing, um, there's a lot of moving pieces, software and, and making sure our IT is working and cell phones. And, and so there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of management that goes on to make sure that it flows HR and who's hiring and who's doing the, um, you know, the recruiting and, and, and then when there are HR issues, who's doing those. And then when new employees are hired, who's, who's, who's handling that entire process. And, and so there's a lot going on there. We, we have a, a shop, you know, to keep all this equipment running. Each one of our, our facilities has a shop where we have um, on our smaller divisions, they have one mechanic and our Des Moines division, we have four mechanics. So we have four mechanics in there every day uh, trying to keep hundreds of pieces of equipment uh, running because that equipment is our lifeblood, right? I mean, that equipment has to function. And um, so we run that, um, we run two guys during the day, two guys at night. So we run, we have an 11 to seven shift or sorry, let me back up three to 11 shift and then 11 to seven shift. So we are open 24 hours a day um, because we have to fix equipment at night, right? When it's down. Um, so we really tried to make this thing um, to keep this flow, this snowball rolling. Um, you know, we, we have to really adapt and, and always be changing and trying to figure out better ways and, one of the things I can tell you about our company is we don't know it all. We are constantly, it's funny people on the outside, you know, like you guys got it all figured out. You know, we're a hamster on a wheel missing a leg or, you know, we're, you know, we're still constantly reevaluating uh, what system works good. What system doesn't work good. How can we get better? Um, you know, and so we're constantly reevaluating, you know, reevaluating that, but it does take, I don't know which video you've seen, maybe Brian's lawn maintenance. He was out and did a video with us and, and Stan uh, Dirt Monkey did one with us as well. And um, I don't think people understand to, to, to run a $20 million landscape company, there's a lot of backend um, stuff going on that that is so crucial to make sure everything flows the way it does and needs to, um, things that you wouldn't even think about, office supplies and, and uniforms and paperwork and you know you don't just we don't just run out of envelopes or run out of letterhead or run out of presentation packets there's somebody constantly somebody's managing marketing you know what's our social media look like and how many posts do we have a week and a month and who do they hit and so there's a lot of moving pieces there all the time that um that we have got great people running those today and and i'm very fortunate that i've i think i've surrounded myself with 
amazing people that uh, I don't micromanage at all. I'm, I'm not the smartest guy on our team, not even close. I, I always talk about, you know, I'm, I just try to hire the smartest people and put the best people around me that I can. So if you don't mind, could you explain to us a little bit about what a normal day is like for the average member, landscape team member in the heat of the growing season? Yeah. So every department's a little different, um, you know, and it's, of course, seasonality changes a little bit. Um, you know, our, our crews get in, um, our foremen get in typically 30 minutes before their team. Um, that gives them about 30 minutes to um, understand what their day looks like, um, get their get their daily work orders. Um, now we pretty much run on iPads, which is really nice. Most of our team members have an iPad. It shows the jobs they have to complete, the materials they need, the tools they need, what truck they're taking, the trailer they're taking. So we've really automated a lot of that. Um, so I, you know, in a perfect world, um, our, our, our foreman gets in a little bit early. When his guys show up, they're ready to get in the truck and go. Um, you know, our guys in the peak season are running 55 to 60 hours a week. We're not running them 80. We used to run guys 70 and 80 hours. We used to run a lot of weekends. Uh, we've really tried to manage our, our labor much better than that. Um, guys love the overtime. They love the paycheck, but we start to burn them out. And then you'll see quality control issues. You'll see accidents happen when people get injured. It's typically because they're, you know, it's late in the day, they're wore out, they get a little sloppy, they make a shortcut and somebody gets injured. And um, so, you know, every department's a little bit different, um, but we do have crews that work on weekends. We have certain sites that we can only be on on the weekends. And um, so we really try to keep our guys um, on a five to six day work week. Um, you know, and, and it just depends on the seasonality. Every, it changes quite a bit. Most of our people we keep on uh, year round because we do a lot of snow and ice management. Um, that's one actually snow and ice management is our biggest division in our entire company. So we do a lot of snow. And um, so our people know coming into this, we're very honest in the in the interview process and the orientation process of what we do. Um, we're almost overly hard, I would say. And um, we are very upfront. This is tough work. It's tough hours. Uh, we, this is what we expect in the winter, uh, you know, <coughs> excuse me, guys, um, you know, hey, I don't want to do snow removal. Well, we do snow. And if you don't want to do snow removal, might not be the place for you. Doesn't mean everybody does snow. We have a lot of females that work for us in our floral department. Um, they don't do some of them don't do snow. It's just not for them. And that's OK. We have a lot that do. Um, um, but we just try to be very transparent uh, what they're getting into. I think for many years we were we kind of soft, we were doing kind of soft selling that, you know, it's going to be great here. And, and then they get, you know, a week into this and they say, Hey, this isn't what you, you know, what, what you told me in the interview. And, and we found out we were losing a lot of people in the first 30 days. And um, so I had somebody on our staff call everybody that quit. Um, and we paid them to tell us, we said, Hey, if you will answer these 10 questions, we'll send you a hundred dollar gift card. And we had a lot of people that, that did that and, and said, what happened? You know, tell us what happened. Why did you quit? And we found that um, it wasn't what we told them it was going to be. And so we really tried to change uh, the way we hired and, and the way we went about that. And I know that's not exactly what you asked, but I think it's so crucial to um, I'd rather interview 10 people and hire none, uh, you know, than, than hire them all and, and lose them all. And that turnover and that constant turn and burn that a lot of companies like ours and a lot of you know 
construction and that this kind of, you know, this, this blue collar work is tough and uh, there's a lot of turnover. And so we've found that we have the best results when we're just very, very honest and open. And one of the things that we do, we do a um, one week checkup, a 30 day checkup, a 60 day checkup and a 90 day checkup. And I can tell you that what we do at, at one week is we bring them in and say, uh, Hey Joe, um, how's your first week? Is this job what we told you it was going to be? Do you feel like you're safe? Do you feel like you've been trained properly? How are you being treated by the other employees? Um, we really want to get them and find out, you know what? Hey, man, my guys are, you know, they're hard on me. They're calling me names or, you know, we kind of had this deal where they're like, they're hard on the new guy. Like they're trying to, you know, like it's a college and they're trying to break him in, you know, um, you know, it's like, there's this phasing, you know, it's like, no, no, this hazing deal. And, and uh, so we do that. We do a 30 day checkpoint. We do a 60 and a 90. And I tell you, that's been, that's really had huge rewards for us because we can catch the problems before they just quit. And we were like, where'd Joe go? Oh, Joe quit. We don't even know. Did we do something wrong? Did he get a new job? You know, and I'm one of the kind of guys that says every time somebody quits our company, I don't blame them. I blame us. I say, what did we do wrong? Um, what could we have done better? Um, what, where did we fall short? And, and so that's something that we spend a lot of time on trying to figure out how we can be the best place to work. Um, if you want to work in lawn care and landscaping, I want you to work for us and I want to give them every opportunity. Uh, and, and we show guys um, in their orientation, we show guys um, five or six examples of people that started at eight, $9 an hour that are leading teams of 25, 30. My general manager today who runs our entire company started as an irrigation tech for $9 an hour. Um, and we, we want, we show them kind of those success stories inside of our company to give them a roadmap that if you want this, there's opportunity here for you. And so we try to show them what that looks like for them. That's awesome. Especially the climbing the ladder to where he is today. I think that's incredible. Um, you mentioned this a little bit earlier about, uh, mechanics and everything they do and i think it's a, i think a lot of people don't think the way you think with having people work at night and making sure that the downtime is actually being used to your advantage there's such a diverse amount of equipment and the jobs that you do you say again ranging from snow to lawn care and the different types of engines on these different machines how do you manage such a large scale operation and how do these uh, mechanics work with uh, the changing of the seasons and everything and sort of uh, do you have any uh, mobile mechanics that take care of stuff on different sites when say a mower breaks down or something that can travel there or is it all just sort of in-house kept in uh, just if you get like a, a broad sort of idea behind your in-house, because again, a lot of companies don't have that and they have to take their mowers and wait a week before they can get it back. Sure. It's a huge aspect that I think to your company, it's a, a huge asset, you know, uh, if you could just give it sort of a little explanation about it, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So um, we have a, uh, an operations manager that oversees our mechanics. Um, we do have a mobile truck. Um, it's set up with a compressor, um, a generator, a welder. It's got a winch on it. So we have the ability to go directly to job sites. It's got fuel tanks on it, both diesel and gasoline. Um, we set that up about seven or eight years ago. So we have the ability um, to do on-site repairs. Um, 
we try to hire our mechanics based on skill level. So we've got some guys that are better on small engine. We have a couple guys that are better on truck and brakes. Um, you know, we also have, you know, but we also, we outsource stuff. I mean, you know, there's certain times where a diesel engine blows up. We're not diesel mechanics. So, so we'll outsource that to, a, you know, a, a, maybe the, the, the dealership. And, um, but we have a job board in our shop. That's really cool. That it's only about three years old now. And, when they get in every day, there's a there's a TV screen up and it it shows exactly what's broke down, um, who put the work order in, what the problem is with it, where it's located, um, what needs what needs to be done, and then where it needs to go back to when it is completed. And everybody can see that, and and that really helped us clean up the process. Before it was just, all right, there's a bunch of shit in here. Um, I don't know. Can I cuss on here or not? Sorry. There's just a bunch of stuff. So good. They'll be all right. A bunch of stuff. And, and if you don't have a game plan, everybody just kind of starts fixing stuff and, and, and there's no game plan. And so with this, we can also prioritize it and say, um, I think there's a four, up to four stars. And if it's a four, it's an emergency. Um, does that piece of equipment have to be out today? And, and so when we did that, um, it gives each day, there's a morning meeting, they go up, they look at the job board and they can see, okay, we've got some, we've got some stuff that's priority four. Let's get on that first. There's a game plan on what we need to do. Do we need to outsource it? Do we need to deliver it somewhere? Do we have the parts on hand? Um, so we really tried to streamline that process because downtime costs you money um, at the end of the day. And uh, so we really try to um, have a process in place that keeps that stuff running because when equipment's broke down, and it's parked in the parking lot, it doesn't make you any money. And um, it's gotten better. We don't have, we have a lot better equipment today than we had 15, 20 years ago. We were running a lot of junk because that's all our budget allowed. And um, so, yeah, we, we have a smooth process there, um, but good mechanics are hard to find. And uh, um, we constantly are always looking uh, for, for better mechanics and, and guys that want to, you know, we have a clean shop. We want it cleaned every single day. We, uh, we expect our place um, to be very, very well kept. And some guys don't like that. Some guys say, well, why would I pick my tools up? I'm going to use them tomorrow because we pick up tools every day. We sweep the shop every day uh, so that when you come in tomorrow morning, you walk into a clean shop and you can start the day fresh. You sort of touched base on this a couple of times and right now with a clean shop. How did you decide on your standard and how, how difficult was it to sort of instill it in your workers? And especially with such a large operation from again, your, your management to your admin team to again, say it's an intern or something. How, how do you ensure that from top to bottom, that standard is set and kept? Oh, it's challenging. Um, you know, I think it starts with the ownership. Um, I have a business partner who's, um, runs the day-to-day -day operation today. And, and we have some things that again are non-negotiable and, um, and it starts with what we expect. And we just really don't, we really don't get sidetracked from that. Um, and so we talk a lot about it when we hire new people, um, especially on the management level and up, um, they spend an hour typically with me and maybe an hour with my business partner. Um, and we tell them the history. We tell them how we started and how I started and, and what's important to me. And I want them to understand that um, if they're here just for a paycheck, that's we might not be the place for now. We, we're going to have people that are here for a paycheck. Uh, but we want them to understand how important the entire process is of 
the way we look, the cleanliness of the vehicle. I can tell you it's not perfect. I walk the parking lot and I get frustrated every day. Um, I'll get in a brand new pickup and the radio knobs are busted off of it and there's a pin jabbed in the dash and, you know, but we clean trucks out every day. We don't, you don't open a door and Mountain Dew falls out and a Red Bull and a chew can and McDonald's wrappers. Um, we clean our trucks out every day. We just, we just really explain the importance to the, to our guys of, you know, every bit of it makes a difference. It all matters. And we say, you know, one of our deals is details matter. It's like, well, what's that got to do with the quality of work we do? It has everything to do with it. It starts at the top. It starts with a clean office, a clean shop, a clean truck, a safe truck, clean equipment, safe equipment, quality work. It just, it all goes down. It all flows through. And I talk to guys all the time and they're like, you know, they have this shop and I go to their office and, and their shop's a disaster and it's unorganized and their desk is unorganized and their shop looks like a war zone. Their people are unorganized and everyone's got different uniforms on, yet they expect them to go out and do this high quality work. It's hard to carry that message and, and get people to live that message if you don't follow through. I have to lead by example. We have uniform policies, all my management. We don't even allow jeans. Everybody's in you know, khakis or we just we want it to feel different, professional, um, and we want everyone to take pride, feel excited to work where they work, feel like they're a part of something special. I mean, even when people give us kickback, like, I don't understand why we can't wear jeans. And once they do it for a while, and they're like, man, I do feel better. I got khakis on. You know, I, when I meet with the client, I look good. And um, that's ongoing, constantly reminding people that all the details matter. Um, and every one of those things at the end of the day um, makes a difference. Um, we're in a competitive market. What makes us different? What makes Perfect Cut different than everybody else? Because at the end of the day, I say this all the time, if you just want to dumb it down, we just cut grass, put some trees in the ground and push some snow, right? Um, so what are we going to do different? We're going to do everything different, start to finish. And I think at the end of the day, you're going to get the outcome that you want. I just I wanted to read this for the kids. Uh, this is the mission statement. Uh, Perfect Cut Site Management is fueled by passion. It shows in the meticulous eyes and hands of our employees. You feel our promise and friendship in the handshakes from our team. We believe that there we believe there is only one right way to maintain a site, and we do everything we can to live up to that ideal every day. I think that's incredible and it's just a fantastic way to look at a, anything in life really when we're talking about young kids or my students age just to see when you're entering life that there should be this standard and I, I just wanted to share that with them so that they understood again sort of what you're trying to set with your employees. Um, with that going into the business and everything with that um, that all starts with the hiring process. Um, yep. is there anything that you're looking for specifically? And I, obviously there's different jobs and different standards for those jobs. Uh, what are you looking for in a person when you hire them specifically? If that's, that makes yeah, sense. good. Yeah, absolutely. Good question. Um, I can tell you in the old days, we looked for people that could walk and tie their shoes and we throw them a shirt and they were on a crew, right? You know, it's good standards, need, good standards yeah. right there. <laughs> Um, today it looks much different than that. We ask different questions. We want to know what are they, uh, what are their goals? What are their passions? What are they, what are they, what are their hobbies? Um, you know, we want to know more about them 
I think a lot of companies, they, they get like, well, I want to know how much experience you have. The truth is I can train you to do the job. What I'm looking for is quality individuals. We're looking for quality people that have a desire to be a part of something, that care about quality, that care about um, being a part of something special. So we really have changed our entire hiring process just in looking for people that um, understand. Um, and we tell them our story. We tell them the whole story and they watch this video. I should have sent you the video. Um, and it just shows like, uh, you know, who we are, what we believe in. Um, and are they going to be a good fit for that? And if they're not, that's okay. Uh, we give everybody a fair interview. I can tell you that a lot of people don't get hired, um, but that's okay. I want them to leave the interview and maybe they go home to their parents or maybe their significant other. And even if they didn't get hired, I want them to say, you know what? I got a fair interview. They were respectful, kind. Um, and that's a, that's a great company. I can't, I didn't get hired, but what a great company. Um, and they're passionate and they're excited. And, you know, I used to, one of the, this is kind of a crazy thing. I used to go look in people's vehicles when I would, we'd be interviewing them. And if I, if I looked in their vehicle and it was just a disaster, I, I would not, I wouldn't hire them. And I would think, because if that's how they take care of their vehicle, is that how the, is that their standard? What's their standard for? I don't, it, it doesn't need to be detailed, but you know, if I look inside and it's just full of trash and cigarettes are sticking out of the, you know, who knows whatever. And, and so, you know, today we look for people, we just look for quality individuals that are goal-minded. Um, again, and we don't ask them questions like how, how many years have you mowed grass or how much landscape experience you have? We can train that. We look for quality people first. And I can tell you our best people have had zero industry experience because we get the quality people first, we teach them the skill second. And I think that sort of segues perfectly into this next question. Um, it's, again, it's a massive company and there are, you said 200 employees uh, and you, you aim to create this atmosphere of family. And I feel like and I might be answering the question for you, but by hiring these people who aren't skilled and don't have the, the knowledge beforehand, it helps you sort of mold and create that atmosphere. Is there anything else that you do to really uh, promote that atmosphere in a, in a workplace setting? Yeah, I mean, I think we just do a lot of um, now COVID has been a little different this year. Um, we've had to keep our employees certainly safe. We have a company that comes in and sterilizes trucks and time clocks and our meeting rooms and um, but, you know, pre-COVID, um, you know, we have a lot of team building exercises. We do tailgate talks. Um, you know, we'll bring in um, a, breakfast, a breakfast, you know, truck and do breakfast burritos for our people. But we encourage all of our management. They have an unlimited amount of money they can spend. And I shouldn't say unlimited, but where we encourage our people to take Gatorade to job sites when it's hot out. Just show up on a Friday and just show up with three Gatorades pat the guys on the back, hand them three Gatorades and say, man, I appreciate what you do. Um, people want to be appreciated. If you do some studies and you've probably done them, people don't leave jobs for money. Money is about third or fourth in the, in the ranking of why they leave jobs. Um, so we want to bring them the intangibles and make them feel like they're important, that they're valued. Um, you know, and that, you know, we do a lot of these kind of rah-rah morning events. We do safety events once a month where we have our safety director, bring everybody in and we talk about the, you know, what, what to look for. Hey, is there poison ivy right now? And, 
You know, is it hot? Let's make sure we're staying hydrated. Here's the proper way to lift stuff so you don't hurt your back. Does everybody have safety glasses? Do they have hearing protection? If you don't, we will give it to you for free. Um, we want them to know that we absolutely care about every single one of them. They are our number one asset. Um, without them, the rest of this is all just, it's all bullshit. We can, we can go out and sell work. Um, we need those people because they're the extension of, of, of us. They, they're the ones out doing the work. Um, you know, we do a lot of mentoring. I have a guy on our team that, you know, we have people come in and they had a bad day. Maybe they had an argument with the spouse. Maybe they're having some financial trouble. Maybe, maybe things just aren't going well for them. And we'll pull those people aside and say, Hey, you know, Jim, what's going on today? Yeah. You know what? I can't make my car payment. Um, you know, and, and we, you know, we, we try to change their day and talk, talk through that with them. And, you know, we have an, we have an opportunity every single day to make a positive or, you know, negative impact on their day. We choose to make a positive impact on their day every day when we can. Um, we head things off quickly. We see somebody going sideways a little bit. Maybe they got a bad attitude. Um, we bring them in immediately. We don't just look the other way. We bring them in and say, hey, man, what's going on? You know, how can we help you? Um, we've loaned people money. I don't want to get down that rabbit hole, but we've helped people through a lot of things. We've helped people get their driver's license. We've helped people with a ton of stuff um, and try to really give back. I've been burned a few times. I'm okay with that. You know, some, you know, when I loan money, I have no intention of getting it back. You know, I give it, you know, and, and we try to do a lot of stuff like that where, um, you know, we want them to feel like they're a part of something a little bit different than, um, than what other people, because right now in our, in our area, there's 25 landscapers within five miles of me. You can get a job tomorrow at any one of them. And I always say, like people say, there's nobody good out there. And I said, that's not true. There's a ton of good people out there. Here's the deal. I only need the best 200 of them in Des Moines, Iowa or Cedar Rapids or Omaha. I don't need 500. I just need the best 200 or the best 150 or whatever that number is. And when you work for another company and you see my people and you see my trucks pull up to a gas station and the guys get out and it's a clean truck and the guys are in uniform and they got a smile on their face and their equipment's all well-maintained and you're working for Chuck in a truck and your stuff's broke down and your paychecks bounced and you're, we want them to go, why don't I work for them? Like, I want to work there. That looks fun. That looks appealing to me. Um, and so we've created that. I think we've created something a little bit different and um, where people want to work for us. And, you know, we have, we have massive amounts of applications. We could hire, I mean, we're in a unique situation where we could hire people where people say, I can't find anybody. Like we work, we, I think my HR director said the other day he had a hundred and some applications he hasn't even looked through yet. Um, so we've tried to create something different. Um, and it hasn't always been that way. We've certainly had good years and bad years. I think it speaks volumes to have a hundred applications. Um, so that's, that's awesome. Um, I do want to shift a little bit. Um, I was going through your website and you mentioned this before that you're sort of like 90% commercial um, with Residential and commercial, obviously, again, I'm going back to the large company. I apologize. Um, how do you deal with coming up with a quote? Um, are there individuals who are in charge of going out and taking specific meetings to figure out how to quote a, comp uh, a 
client or someone based on square footage? Is it based off of just the job itself? What is it? What is your process for that? Yeah, so it varies. We have a residential manager um, who handles residential sales, um, but everything we have is is built into a pricing matrix. Uh, again, took us a long time to get that built out. Um, by doing a lot of studies, how efficient are we? What's our ideal man rate, man hour rate? Excuse me, how long does it take us to perform these tasks? Um, so we've refined that pretty well. So, you know, if, if, if company X calls us tomorrow commercial, um, we put in their square footage, we, we look at their site, um, we put it in our, we call them matrix, and our matrix spits out exactly what we should charge that customer. And then we can move a little bit off that. Is it, you know, is the site easy? You know, is it hard? Do we have, you know, does it have 25 islands that have to be bagged? Are there cars in the way? Is there a courtyard? Um, is it steep? You know, uh, what's, is, does it have to be done on weekends only because there's cars in the parking lot? Um, so we have a pricing program built out um, and our, our salespeople do not have much flexibility to go off of that price. You know, they can, they have to get approval if they're asking to change the pricing because um, occasionally we'll get aggressive. You know, we may say, hey, you know, we really want that site. It's right next door to this other site. Um, let's move. Let's move off the matrix a little bit. Let's uh, let's give them a little bit better number. We think it makes sense logistically. And um, but, but yeah, so our pricing um, for many years, it was just kind of guessing, you know, and that's what a lot of companies do. Problem is, most companies don't know their numbers. Um, we know our numbers. We know exactly what we have to charge for every man hour of every day of every job. Um, and if you don't charge enough, then you don't make enough and then you can't give raises and you can't do the things that we're trying to do. And, um, you know, it's very simple math when you start figuring out what does it cost us to operate our company and what do we need to charge um, to be uh, to be successful and to be profitable. And, um, you know, we don't put profit first. Um, we, to put it, we put our customers first and profit usually follows if you do the right thing. With the size of your company, can you explain to us how you delegate and optimize your employees' work efficiency in the areas of each com of the company? Yeah, um, you know, again, every department has a manager, and, and those managers all have goals and expectations. Um, we're very clear. Um, everybody has a job description laid out with job duties, expectations, and then we tie every manager, our production manager, back to a goal. Um, and that's really helped us get them to where they almost, you know, they almost own their division. Um, and they have, um, they have some say in what we buy, um, and they get rewarded by running that as efficiently and as effectively as possible. Because at the end of the day, if you make X and it does, and you make X regardless of whether you run it well or poorly, you still get your paycheck every Friday, right? So we had to align our interest with our production manager's interest and give them rewards for figuring out better ways to do things, utilizing the right equipment, um, hiring the right people. Um, and so each department has a department budget. They have, um, you know, they have expectations, they have goals. Um, and so we really hold our people accountable to their department and, um, reward them to be successful in that department as well. And so, um, and we give them a lot of flexibility. Um, we let our people make mistakes more often than I'd like, um, you know, and, and the nice thing is we have, 
you know, we look at it pretty often once a week. Um, and so we can see trends, you know, is our overtime going up? You know, why? Okay. They explain it. Okay. You know, is our downtime going up? Why is it, you know, are we having too much downtime? Are we not loading quickly, you know, quickly in the morning? Are we hitting gas stations when we shouldn't be? Are we, you know, are we inefficient in the parking lot? Are we taking long breaks? And so we really try to give our managers all the tools to manage the best they can by, you know, each department. Um, and then we hold them accountable to it. And, um, and each person agrees to their goal preseason. We sit down and we say, hey, Bob, this is your department. Here's your budget. This is how many man hours you said it's going to take to complete the work that we have scheduled. Um, if you can do it, this is the bonus you'll get. Do you agree that that's doable? Because what happens if you don't do that and you don't have those conversations later in the year, like, well, I, I, I never said I could do that. No, you know, you said right here in April that this was doable. So we're going to hold you accountable. You know, if we can help you, we will, you know, tell us how we can help you make sure we hit your goals. What can we do to help you? But um, sometimes people give goals to people um, and they don't have the conversation up front and they don't all agree on the goals. We're, we're very transparent in saying we all agreed, right? We all agreed that you could do it. And, and you agreed that you needed 12 guys to complete the task. And you said you could do it. Um, tell me why you can't, you know, and Hey, we've had a rainy season and we're, we're running behind. Okay. I can live with that. You know, we had to run some overtime. Okay. You know, so you'll have some anomalies in there. And, um, so each, each department has goals and, um, we hold people accountable and, uh, we pay our people, I think quite a bit above industry average. Um, but I think they perform above, you know, industry average as well. I think you have to align your interests with theirs and, um, and you have to do what you say you're going to do. You probably, you know, I, I, I hate when people get promised raises and they don't do it or, or you get promised promotions and they don't follow through. I talk to a lot of companies. I do quite a bit of consulting and, um, you know, these owners of small companies, uh, they make promises and they don't fall, you know, they don't follow through with them. And, and, and that you're never going to get great people if you do that. For sure. Um with everything internally, uh, this is another question sort of internally, externally, um, with clients and with specifics uh, when it comes to payment and to other uh, ways of making it easier, do you use any software? Uh, is there anything, uh, do you have a department dedicated to collecting or is there anything like that uh, that can withstand, say there's late payments or anything like that? Is there anything that you use to sort of increase efficiency with that certainly yeah we we use a software that's dedicated to our industry um a quick horror story is we built our own software about four years ago um invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in software we thought we were smarter than the software companies so what we tried to do is we said we found like four software companies that you know created lawn care landscape snow removal software and we tried to say we like that piece of that one, that piece of that. One. So we tried to have a company build us this amazing software that was going to do everything we needed it to do. Uh, that didn't work. Um, it turns out that uh, it was an IT nightmare and, and it was just, it was, it was a mess. So we utilize about three different softwares in our company today. Um, my rule of thumb is, you know, does it do 80% of what it needs to? Um, and then, you know, can you use some Excel spreadsheets for some other stuff or can you use, and so we try to have software in place, but there's great software out there for small companies. 
you know, I promote a software called Jobber, which is a, uh, it's not a software we use because we're a little bit too big for it. But, you know, for, for $29 a month, you can have this software that does your billing. Um, it's got GPS on it. It does your sales tracking, um, you know, your invoicing, your collecting. You can see your sales reports. There's great software out there. Um, and I talk to guys and like, well, I can't afford software. And I'm like, man, you can't afford not to get software. Like you're at home at night after you put the kids to bed and you're, you're doing billing until midnight and you're trying to collect your money. And, and guys are always saying, I can't collect my money. It's because you're not billing on time. And, and we weren't good at that for a long time. And so it's so important to make sure that that flows really well, that you're, I mean, if you're going to do the work, you, you got to bill, you got to bill accurately and you got to collect, um, you know, and so we do, we have a full-time, you know, several full-time people billing, and then we have a full-time collection person and, and their job is to do nothing but follow up. Um, and a lot of times collections, um, it doesn't have to be done in a, Hey, why haven't you paid us is, Hey, do you have the invoice? Were there any problems with the job we completed? Um, and, and when can we expect payment? It's, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, a, a tough conversation. And, um, but a lot of times we'll find, yeah, you know what, we haven't paid that because there's a few things that were incomplete. Okay. Now we know that right now, not 90 days from now, 120 days from now. Now, okay. We'll have a crew out tomorrow. We'll complete those items that you mentioned and we'll expect to check, you know, or we'll get you invoiced immediately. And so, um, you know, if you're not going to collect your money, you might as well go fishing or hunting. I mean, you might as well go hit the golf course. I mean, you got to collect your money. Most companies, uh, they run themselves out of cash. So I'm going to shift the conversation. and I'm really excited to hear about this. Uh, with the success of Perfect Cut, you began a new adventure with uh, Ballard Innovative Products, where you engineered different tools that really have changed the industry for the everyday uh, lawn care professional, uh, and even more than that. Uh, where, where did you come up with this venture and sort of what was the idea behind, uh, creating something off of your company that you have? Yeah. So that company is actually 20 years old. And most people think we just started it because with social media, we've managed to hit a lot of people. So I apologize. Uh, <laughs> people, people say it all the time, like, Hey, you guys just started this other company. Well, uh, 20 years ago, I started that company. We actually created a product, um, our first product that we patented, and, and we were making products for our own lawn care landscape company, right? And um, we were creating these products, and I'm like, man, you know what? God, that makes our life so much easier. There's got to be other guys that need this. Um, and so we started creating these products and using them every day in our business and beating the heck out of them and saying, hey, you know what? There's got to be other guys that need these. And so... Um, Back then, that was 1999 when I incorporated that business. And back then, social media wasn't what it is today or barely it didn't exist, really. And um, so then I was going to trade shows. I was going to all these trade shows and trying to show people these products that we created. And um, so it was a hobby business for me for many, many years. And, you know, we had 30 or 40 products and, and we'd send out some brochures because the Internet didn't exist, really. And um, and about four years ago, I was either going to shut it down. Thank God I didn't. Um, I was going to shut it down or I was going to get serious about it. So I, I called the guy and said, what do you know about Facebook? You know? And he's like, well, I, I know that you can, my grandma posts what she had for dinner on there. I'm like, cool. Okay. What do you know about marketing on Facebook? And so we just started going down this new uh, road of 
creating some videos, just kind of raw, gritty videos, showing people products that we were using in our business every day. And, um, and so that's really been my focus for the last three years. Um, that company has grown just crazy. Um, and, you know, we had all these good products, but I don't think most people realize they existed out there. And so, um, you know, we started with maybe a handful of products. And today, I think we have about 250 total products that we sell now and we're growing. I've got a bunch more products coming. And, um, and that really happened with trying to create products that, um, that I, I won't sell a product if I won't use it. So everything I sell, we use. I personally go out and test. I run it. I beat it up. Um, and, you know, so I have to believe the product's going to help guys. And, you know, 86% of the lawn care companies in the U.S. do less than a million dollars a year. So that means most companies, you know, have two to three crews, you know, owner operator, owner might be on one crew, kind of a mom pa operation. They care about their equipment. They care about their guys. They care about their efficiency. Um, so we wanted to show these guys um, products that we use every day in our business. Um, what's the problem? What's the solution? And, and how can we help you with it? And and that's done, um, you know, tremendously well through, again, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. We've got some brand ambassadors out there pushing products for us. And um, and so that's been really fun for me. Um, I stepped away from the day-to-day at Perfect Cut about two years ago to totally focus on the, on the product side. And um, because I felt like I had a great team of people at Perfect Cut that I trust. I got a business partner that runs the day-to-day at Perfect Cut today. Um, that, but I just, I wasn't, I'd done the lawn care thing for a long time. Um, I just wasn't as excited about it. And so, uh, the products are fun for me. I love coming up with new products and, and seeing if we can make guys' lives a little bit easier. And, and, um, and so that's what I work on today. Uh, full-time, we have a small team of six people in that company. Um, and it's growing every day and, and we're going to ship almost a hundred thousand products this year, which is pretty crazy from where it was. And, uh, um, but it's fun. It's exciting. Um, but it's a whole nother, I I'm learning a whole nother business because, you know, making products is one thing, you know, then I found out that customer service, when you start shipping, you know, several hundred products a day, now we have all these customer service questions, you know, where's my product? I got the wrong product. I don't know how to put it on. Does it work on this machine, that machine? And so, um, that's created a, you know, it's been a, it's created a whole different um, set of issues and, and we're learning through those as well. And, um, but we work incredibly hard at it. You know, my, you know, my, my deal always has been, um, I don't think I'm the smartest dude at all. I just, I'll just outwork you. That's my only, that's the only thing I know how to do. I'm the first guy in the office every day. I'm usually the last one to leave. I'm in there on Saturdays. I'm in there on Sundays. Um, I don't have to be, I just, that's the only way I know how to make something successful. Um, and people think I'm crazy all the time. Like, man, I cannot believe you go in every Sunday. And I, I don't know how to do it any other way. That's just, I just, I just have to out, I just have to outwork. I just have to outwork everybody. That's the only way I know how to do it. And hey, I'm crazy. I'm it's crazy. okay. I'm crazy. It works. You know, if you're going to do what you got to do. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a little nuts. My work life balance is not ideal. Um, <laughs> Um, I, I can tell you how to do it. I just can't do it myself. No, I understand. Um, could you sort of, it, there are so many different products and it really, it really is shows like your, your tenure in the industry, you know, the, it, how much it creates like 
the job so much easier from the blades that you're creating now and you just put out to um, all the different attachments to a trailer. You know, those are simple things that really nobody thought about. Hey, this is an easy fix. Just put this here. And what is the process for you when it comes to, en to engineering these different tools or products? And are you working with other engineers? Is it just all in-house? What's the process for you behind the concepts? You know? Yeah, good question. Um, everyone's a little different. Um, you know, we have a lot of stuff made. Uh, you know, people don't like to hear this, but I have a lot of stuff made overseas. I have a lot of stuff made in Mexico. Um, and it's not by choice. I would love to have everything made in America. The truth is American manufacturing is, uh, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a dying industry. And, um, you know, we, so what I do typically is we build a prototype. Um, my dad's a pretty good fabricator. My brother's got a machine shop. And so I'll take him over and I'll, I'll make this ugly prototype and I'll say, make this prototype. Let's get a prototype. Let's make it work. And then I'll send it off to, uh, I've got a couple manufacturers that build different products for me and I'll send it off to them and say, Hey, here's my ugly prototype, build me one that's better. And then we're going to send it to me and we test it. Um, so it, it is quite a process of trying to figure out who's the best vendor for those products. Um, you know, and how many do, you know, there's a risk because, you know, a lot of times I'll have to order several thousands of something before I even know if the consumer is going to really like it. Um, the good news is I have a pretty good understanding of what I think will work. I've, I've only missed on a couple products and I wouldn't call them complete misses, but you know, where I might've ordered a thousand or something and we've only sold 300 of them. And, um, you know, where I think it might be more of a, I think it's super cool and everyone else is like, ah, it's cool, but I don't really need it. Um, and so, yeah, the, the process is, um, you know, for me, it's just, but I also listen to the consumer. When I get guys that say, man, I wish somebody made this. I'm like, huh, I could probably do that. You know, I could probably do that. And then um, we've also had something kind of unique happen the last year is I'm getting a lot of guys bringing me products, which has been really cool um, where guys are doing what we did. They're saying, hey, I built this product. It works great in my company. If you, you know, would, it, would you make this for me? And, and so we sometimes I've bought those guys. I've paid, paid them for their idea. I have some products that we make that I give guys royalties on. Um, so if guy, you know, if a guy brings me a product that's super cool and I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's an awesome product. Um, I can, cause most of the time they have a product, but they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to market it. Where do I get it made? How much should it sell for? Um, so I can take them through that entire process of, you know what, I can take that product. I can have it 90 days. I can have it. I can have that thing ready for retail. And, um, so we've, we've really, um, I'm excited about that because we've changed some guys' lives. I've got some guys that had ideas of products and we've literally, one guy um, just sent me a message before this. He's like, man, you've changed my, I mean, changed my life. I'm like, I'm sending him royalty checks every month for significant amount of money. And, um, you know, we did all the work on it, you know, but it was his idea and I don't steal ideas. I'm not in the business to steal ideas. If you've got something, I sign an NDA. And then I, I look at it, but I also turn down a lot of products. I get, I get thrown a lot of weird products and, and um, doesn't mean they're bad products. Um, but again, if I won't use it, I won't sell it. I, I just, I, I can't, you know, I'm getting hit up from guys wanting me to sell beef jerky. I mean, I've, getting, <laughs> I've got guys wanting me to sell motorcycle parts. Like, Hey, would you be my front man for the moat? I'm like, no, because I, I have to believe in it. And I think that's been kind of part of our magic, you know, um, is the fact that 
when I talk about a product, I, I'm knowledgeable about it. I believe in it and I understand what it does for your business. And I can't sell, I can't sell things that I don't believe in. I'm just not, I'm not interested in that. So have you ever had a favorite product that y'all made or one that's really made a positive impact on the industry itself? Um, I have a lot of them, really. I mean, I have, uh, I think we have a lot of products that I think have, have really done well. I'm, I'm super excited about our mower blades. I worked on that project for over a year to have our own line of mower blades. So to have a mower blade with my logo on it was super cool to me. Um, you know, is it way better than what everybody else is offering? Not necessarily. It's just different. Um, so I was super excited about that. Um, we'll be certain- running those this spring. So we're excited about it, too. Yeah. I mean, I just, I really like, um, you know, and mower blades are something where a lot of our products are stuff that you you don't have to have. They're kind of cool. Mower blades, you know, kind of like shaving your face. You got to buy them. You got to buy them a couple times a year, three times a year, depends on how often you're changing blades out. And um, so that one was fun for me because I spent about a year trying to figure out um, where I could get them made and, and could I make a better product than what's out there? And I tested all the other major brands and can we make a blade as good or better? Can we make it priced? You know, can it be priced even less? And that was kind of my goal is we, can we have a better product for less money? And can we make it also easy for the consumer to order? If you go to our website on the blades and I'm going to be doing this on other products, but you know, you just click skag and you click 48 inch mower and it tells you what blades you need. So we try to make the, the user experience on our website, super easy, um, you know, and, and so there's a lot of products I'm proud of. I mean, there's very few that I'm not proud of because I, if, again, if I'm not proud of them, I'm not going to sell them. And, um, but I do, I, I still get a little bit of a rush when I come up with something that's totally new. And then I get, you know, the first night at launches, we get a couple hundred orders. I'm like, yes, I knew it worked, you know? So there's still kind of that, you know, I want to, there's still kind of that, uh, ego that gets in there and says yeah i knew that would work you know and uh um, but i've also launched a couple products a little premature and they weren't quite dialed in and then you you know and you get customer service complaints and you know and and so we have to go back to the drawing board and fix a few things and and take some returns if we need to and um because i don't want people out there especially with social media you know if you're selling products that aren't with you what you told people they are um, they'll light you up. They'll, they'll, they'll light you up on social media. <laughs> they are ruthless. That is oh sure. man. It's, that I, I get so many haters. I tell you what, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't even understand it. I get there's so no much, point to that. <laughs> I got people that I've been called every name you've heard of. And, and my, they call my wife names and you know, it's mainly on these Facebook groups. And I'm like, I don't even understand it. I don't like, did I, did I do something like, just don't buy, just don't buy from me. I'm not mad. You yeah, know? that's uh, there's no point to go after him. Uh, I, I, yeah, it, it is. It's a, it, that social media is a double-edged sword. It can be such a great tool, um, but it it is uh, it's pretty ruthless out there. I get uh, I don't get as mad as I used to. I used to get in arguments with people, and I'm like, why am I arguing with somebody? And for no reason at midnight, you know, what am I doing? <laughs> Put the phone down, right? <laughs> Put it down. Ban, you know my favorite feature ban and delete it's ah, a good one i like that i like that um the other thing that i was curious about again with like the engineering and everything but uh how do you and one that i 
am fascinated with, and we are going to be buying it soon, is the Jack. Um, because, again, I have young kids working on these mowers, and I want to make sure that they're safe. And we've had different types of jacks that we've used over time that, uh, again, I, I'm, a, I'm a teacher, and I'm putting children underneath the mower, and I'm sort of freaking out. I'm like, this is going to fall any second. I'm deep trouble. This is not going to go well. How do you test those products? Because, I mean, I've seen videos where you're like, trying to knock the mower over to the point where it almost falls backwards instead of falling forward off of the jack. What is that process like? You know, you were talking about beating stuff up. Um, and how do you ensure once the product's out there, how do you ensure it stays to that level of what you're marketing it at? Yeah, good. I mean, it is, it is tough because at the end of the day, you can, you can use any product incorrectly. I mean, they sell guns, right? Guns can be safe. Guns can be not safe. I mean, we won't go down the gun. <laughs> that that rabbit hole but probably good any product used improperly can be unsafe um like the super jack you're talking about that product's been out since 2004 and we have a new version coming out in february that's even better and i added a foot brake to it so i added one more safety feature nobody asked for a safe nobody asked for a break i just thought you know what what if we had a foot brake on it so that when it's underneath the mower there's just one more measure of safety um just to keep anyone from getting hurt. And uh, so we're always trying to make the product safer and better um, because yeah, you know, improperly used, you know, any machinery, any vehicle, anything, if you don't use it properly, you can get hurt. And uh, the last thing I want is somebody to get hurt using one of our products. So uh, we're constantly, again, trying to make the products as safe um, and cost-effective to our end user as possible. And um, you know, and so guys can service their equipment safely. I've got some other really cool stuff coming out to service, service equipment that, um, I'm excited about. It'll probably be March before that hits the market. I'm working through some prototypes now, but, uh, um, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, we try to educate as much. I try to show guys in videos. If you watch our videos, they're intentionally kind of grainy and, and kind of raw, um, because I want them to feel real. Cause it usually it's just me we shoot them on freaking iPhones. It's not, we're not, this isn't, I don't have a camera crew and a makeup crew. We're just shooting videos, just trying to make them fun and showing, Hey, here's what we do. Here's what the product does. If you think this will work in your business, here's, here's what, you know, click here. For sure. Um, a couple more questions. This one I think is most important, especially after talking to you and everything. Uh, and it's very broad. Um, you talk about how you have to work through everything. You want to outwork everyone. It's not a want, it's a must. And you do outwork everyone. What is it that drives you? What, what you've created this successful company that really, if you're not there, it's not the end of the world. You've added this, you've not added, you've made this a bigger portion with the product design and innovative uh, part of your company. What is it that, makes you want to keep going after such, I mean, it's been such a long time. Like, what is it that drives you, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I tell this a lot and I don't know if you've watched, you know, or listening to my, in my other podcast, but I was a senior when I was a senior in high school and I, I school wasn't, I wasn't great at school. I was kind of a class clown. I was chasing girls. I've just, I was having fun. You know, one of the teachers said to me, you know, he said, Corey, if you don't pay attention, you're going to be mowing yards your whole life. And I thought about that and I can tell you, I carried that burden. I carried that chip on my shoulder for a long time. You know, if you, if you don't pay attention, you're going to be mowing yards your whole life. And I thought to myself, 
here's a school teacher. Um, does he have the right to tell me, maybe I want to mow yards my whole life. You know, you, d does he have the right because I'm goofing off in history class to tell me that if I don't pay attention that I'm going to mow grass my whole life. And, and so I, I think I had this, um, uh, just, just chip on my shoulder that I was always trying to prove to people that I could do this. Um, and I can tell you that it, I don't know if it's the right motivation. Um, I've had people say that to me, including my wife, like, Corey, you don't, why don't you just hit, you know, like, you don't have to do what you're doing. Like we've done pretty well. I don't need to, to, to work Sundays. Right. And, and I, but part of me, I think is driven, uh, to always do more and more and more. And I'm not content, which, um, is good and bad. Right. I mean, I, I wish there's certainly times where I'm envious of other people that are just like, man, just chill out. I'm going to watch, you know, I'm just going to, you know, watch a movie with my kids and chill. And I'm over here answering questions on social media. And, and, uh, so I, I think part of that is, you know, um, stems from my childhood and I didn't come from any money. Um, we didn't have much. And so I have this desire, I think, to, to do more and prove myself. And the truth is nobody's keeping score, but me, you know, and, and so I'm constantly trying to work on what makes me happy. Um, it's not money. Um, you know, people think if I just had this amount of money, I would be so happy. And that's just not true. I can tell you money is not what makes you happy. Um, I've had no money and I've had money. It doesn't, um, at the end of the day, that's not that that's not the number one thing people believe it is. I think people without money believe if I just had money, my life would be perfect. Um, so for me, it's finding purpose. Um, and, and, and I like to give back. I love doing stuff like this. I, I help a ton of small lawn care companies. I answer every question I get sent through every social media channel. Um, I help guys constantly. I love to give back. I feel like if you give back, uh, the more I give, um, I think it gives me more in return. Um, whether they ever order a product from me or not, I don't care. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, I love to, to be a part of our community. I love our industry. Um, but, you know, it's... Part of it, I think, stems from, I think, just who we are um, to the core. And, and I'm the kind of guy that just um, am tr I'm trying always to, to, to do more. And again, just being vulnerable, um, it's it's ego and self-esteem and trying to, to prove myself to people. And the funny part is nobody thinks I didn't do well, but I'm still in, the, in my head. I'm still just a little kid trying to just prove Sorry, hold on. And we're good. Okay, I apologize. I got a oh, phone call. Fine. It shouldn't have kicked me off. I don't know why I did that. But, no, you're uh, totally fine. You know, so yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, it's just, it's still just me, me competing with me. And I have to work on that constantly. And, um, I have to try to find balance in my life and, and, and try to be present with my kids. And, um, but I'm still, I still have this, um, desire and I'm still excited every time we have a new product. I'm excited every time our company gets a new account. Like I still am on the, I'm on the email. Every time we get a new account at perfect cut, I'm still excited. Um, I love, you know, I, I love the kill, but I also like the process through it, you know, and, and so um, I'm just motivated by um, trying to make a difference and an impact. I always think about like, you know, you know, I have young kids and I'm thinking, you know, I want them to look back at someday and be like, man, I, I did something different. You know, I did something 
that was important. I made a difference. I gave back. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. It's kind of a long answer there, but uh, 100%. I just, I, and I have a fear. I have a fear of failure. I don't know why. Like, I still think at any moment they could just take the rug out from underneath me. I don't know why, <laughs> but I still feel like at any moment this could all come crashing down. Well, I think through your hard work and everything, that's not going to happen. And also to that high school teacher, see what cutting grass does now. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> well, and to be honest, this is going to sound kind of like cocky, but I was still making more my senior year than he was. I was going to say, let's say I was going to say you probably were making more money than him. I was killing it. You, you know, should have just been like, school. this is my, this is my pay, by the way, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm like, I'm doing like $3,000 a week as a senior in high school. Like, dude, you don't get to talk shit to me, but you know, that's, that's ego and then self-esteem. And he, he made, and, and again, I say I didn't carry that, but I, I, I must still carry it. Cause I'm still talking about it 30 years later. Um, and so sometimes, you know, if you watch like the Michael Jordan thing, you know, he would like make up things to get to fuel him to play a better game. I need it. I need people to doubt me a little bit so that I can, you know, again, try to motivate myself to be the best version of me I can be. And, um, you know, and try to, to be, uh, to make a difference. I just want to make a difference and, um, and, you know, and it's, you know, I, I enjoy it. I still enjoy it. Um, and I, I work incredibly hard at it day in and day out. And, and I, as long as you're having fun, you know, I don't know what else I would do. We've talked about selling the company and, you know, and what would I do? I'm, I need to be busy. I'm a guy that has to be busy. If one of our students is, was interested in starting up a landscape company, what type of advice would you give a young entrepreneur in the landscaping industry? Oh, it's a tough one because, you know, first off, it, it goes back to, you know, what, what's your why? You know, why do you want to do that? Um, you know, and, and then, you know, what are you willing to give up to do that? You know, a lot, of, a lot of people that I consult with, I ask them, you know, would you rather be big or profitable? They always say big. I'm like, well, I don't tell me why. And, and you know, what are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing, you know, what are you willing to give up? to be successful? Are you willing to work six days a week, seven days a week for two years, three years, five years? I mean, we made no money for so many years. I paid myself just enough to, to survive. I had a single wide trailer. I had no garage. I mean, I, I made just enough to pay my bills. Um, and I think a lot of people want to get, you know, they want to get successful now. You know, everybody wants to lose weight in a week. They want to, you know, get in shape in a week. They want to get rich in a Amen. month. Amen to the <laughs> everybody wants everything so fast. And the reality is it's a freaking grind. And, and so, you know, lay out a business plan. What does it look like? Um, you know, what's a 24 month, 12 month, 24 month, 36 month. What are you going to do to get there? Lay out a, a solid business plan. Um, everything from, you know, what assets do I need? What marketing am I going to do? Who's my ideal clients and how, I'm, how am I going to get them? Um, you know, do I have, you know, can I hire employees, you know, if I need to, do I have access? A lot of young guys, high school guys, college guys have usually a, you know, a pool of friends that they can usually kind of dip into to get some help. Um, but, you know, what are you doing it for? I always go back to, you know, what is the reason, do you, you know, you know, and, and, and are you willing to stick it out when it gets incredibly tough? Because it's going to be incredibly tough. There's going to be some bad days. There's going to be some really bad days and money's going to get tight and, 
you know, what are you willing to sacrifice short term for that long term gain? So we're going to wrap it up. We always ask this last. Um, is there any words of advice that you could give the kids and not just entering landscape industry or anything like that, just their high schoolers looking to for the next chapter of life? What would you say entering college, trying to enter any field? What would be your words of advice that would set them down the path of success? Um, good. That's a good question. Um, listen a lot. Um, Align yourself with people that are successful. Get some good mentors. I've got great mentors in my life, um, not in my field. And, and I listen to those guys and I met, you know, I hang out with people that are successful. Um, you know, you, you guys have heard it. You, if you hang out with successful people, you know, you're, you're going to be a part of that. If you hang out with people that aren't going anywhere, you're probably not going to go anywhere. So hang out with people that are like-minded. Get some good mentors in your life. Um, don't be willing, or don't be afraid to ask people to, you know, I go to coffee with people about once a week. I pick somebody that I, I barely know. Um, I'm not trying to sell them anything. I just want to know what's going on in their life. You know, I just try to constantly network, um, you know, and get good mentors around you because you never know when you're going to need those people. Um, and, and I ask for a lot of advice. Um, I'm not a huge reader, but I listen to, you can listen to a lot of books online, which is pretty nice. Um, so yeah, I mean, just get yourself around people that are winning and, and people that want to win and people that are in your corner. Um, God, sorry guys, another phone call. I don't know. I should have put it on airplane mode or whatever you got to do. Um, but, uh, you know, just, uh, I've always hung out with people that, that I think pushed me and, um, I have a lot of successful friends and I hung out with those people. I hung out with people that pushed me to do more, um, you know, and again, I, I'm a guy that takes action. I don't make excuses. You know, people sit around and talk about all the woulda, coulda, shouldas. I don't do that. You know, if you see an opportunity, take it. Work hard. Be honest. Do what you say you're going to do. Show up early. Stay late. You know, what? And if you're going to work for somebody else, I think a lot of people should work for somebody else and, and, and see what they're doing. I, I think you know, I think there's a lot of value in working for somebody else. Even if you want to work for yourself, ultimately you work for somebody else um, and, and watch what's going on and, uh, and, and learn from, from that. And, and you know, then you can assess what you can do and what, um, and what you can bring to the table and do differently. But uh, um, you know, people are paid based on the solutions that they solve and the value that they bring. You know, I don't care how old you are. Um, you know, the guy that's my business partner today started with me just cutting grass. He created incredible value and he made me think to myself, I can do this without him, but I certainly don't want to. And I made a promise to him that eventually if he stuck with it, he would be an owner. Took us 15 years to get there, but I promised him and I followed through with it. But he created incredible value um, day from day one. And when you get talent around you and you recognize talent, you got to figure out a way to keep them because, um, you know, together, you know, it's, it's that whole saying, you know, alone, you can go here together. You can go even further. I mean, it, um, I just have, I've been very fortunate to put a lot of really good people around me. Um, and they trust me. I trust them and I do what I say I'm going to do. And, um, I give them opportunities and, and, um, I think that's, you know, again, that's worked well for worked well for me anyways. Just fantastic. I, I really appreciate you coming on. What do you guys say? 
Thank you very much. Yeah, I enjoyed it, guys. Thank if you. you. If you have, yeah, welcome. If you have any questions at any point, uh, you know how to get a hold of me. And uh, if there's any follow-up or you ever want to do it again, I, I would gladly jump back on. And uh, if there's anything I can help with, I'd love to. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. We hope you have a great hunting trip uh, and uh, enjoy your time. Thanks. All again. right, guys. Appreciate it.